You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. In 1816, there is a wandering, traveling pastor that was speaking in a little village in Wales. His name is William Williams, and there wasn't anything extraordinary about him. He wasn't the best speaker, and, but he would travel around, and he'd speak at various churches. And one time, he came to this village, this little, this valley of people, and he was preaching. And he shared this. What if you were to consent to have Jesus save the whole of this region? How could you have him? We'll hold prayer meetings through the whole region. Go from house to house to every house that will open its doors. Make it the burden of every prayer that God should come here to save this area. And so he gave this message and he was talking about the the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to save the entire village. And, And most of the people listening pretty much ignored him and moved on, except for one woman. She was an irreligious woman, a woman that didn't attend church very often, but this, for some reason she did this day, and she was inspired. She, she was excited to be able to follow through with what William had, had preached. And so she was expecting the prayer meeting to come to her house, and her home was lit by candles, and she would light one candle. She was a woman that lived by herself, and every night she would have one candle light, but this day she, lit, and she went to a store and bought two candles because when the prayer meeting came to her house, she wanted it to be well lit. And she waited. The prayer meeting didn't come that night. It didn't come the next night. She waited a week and then a month and then several months went by and the prayer meeting never did come to her house. She went to the shop owner where she bought the candles and said, when's the prayer meeting coming to my house? And he said, what are you talking about? She said, a year ago, when William Williams came and he told us that the prayer meeting was to come, I've been ready. I bought two candles. And the shopkeeper blew her off and said, nobody was listening to that. She said, many nights I've gone to sleep in the dark because I've been saving my two candles for this prayer meeting that was to come. The shopkeeper was so moved by this woman that everyone knew was not a religious person that it was a surprise that she'd even want the prayer meeting to come to her house. And he went and shared that at his church. And the church knew this woman. It's a small, small valley. And the church knew her. And they said, you know what? Let's go have a prayer meeting in her house. So they went and did just that, and and she lit her two candles, and they had a prayer meeting that night, and it was so inspiring, so encouraging that they decided to have a prayer meeting in someone else's house the next night to do exactly what William Williams had said. And so they went to another house, and then the next night another house. And just as he had prophesied, the entire village came to be excited and passionate about God. As the people were coming together, the crowds were overflowing out of these homes as they were excited to pray and just spend the evening with the Lord. And this traveling prayer ministry went from house to house to house. And in the midst of this, a young man accepted Jesus Christ for the first time. And this young man's name was John James. And John James went on to be one of the greatest preachers that the Welch people had ever known. And so the, John James went on and in, in 1850 led this revival in the Welsh, in the Welsh nation. And he was going and he was traveling and there was people excited and passionate about God. And he would proclaim this and he would preach. And the Welsh community, if you look it up about revival in, in, the, in Wales, you will read about this. <clears throat> that they were so passionate and they sent out missionaries all over the world. 
They began with England, and it said that they sent missionaries to England, and over a million people came to know Christ in one year because of the missionaries that had left because of this revival. They sent missionaries to California, to Asia, to Africa, to India, all over the world because one woman was willing to answer the call to have a prayer meeting in her house. This morning, we're looking at our calling. We're looking at that we are called to to be part of something great, and that something great is God's story. I firmly believe each one of us has a calling on our life, that you do and I do, that we're going to see multiple people throughout the Bible that have callings, that this woman had a calling just to have a prayer prayer meeting in her home ended up impacting millions because she was willing to be part of God's story. James 4.14 says, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Not the most inspiring verse, correct? <laughs> Not something that you'd normally start a service with, but, but the reality is it's true. 150 years from now, nobody's going to know who I am. Nobody's going to know the name Mackerel. It's not going to mean anything. But 150 years from now, I am positive the story of God is going to be continued to be proclaimed. There's this grand story that started before time began and is going to go on through eternity, and that is God's story. And so I want to ask, where am I going to spend my life focused on making my own story that's going to vanish like a vapor or put my energy and effort into proclaiming God's story? Where are you going to put your effort? We each have a calling We see this throughout the Bible. The most clear example is the calling of young Samuel. Samuel was a boy that was working in the temple, and he was watching over the Ark of the Covenant, and he was under the leadership of Eli, and he heard a calling in the middle of the night, and he thought it was Eli calling him, and Eli said, no, no, it wasn't me, and this repeats three times before Eli makes it clear, this is God calling And so the passage has in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Speak, for your servant is listening. As I talk about call, we're going to see a story today in Mark chapter 10 of someone that, that was called by God, called by Jesus. Each one of us has a calling. Samuel did. The disciples, James and John, Peter are out fishing and Jesus calls them and they drop everything and they follow him. We each will have a calling like these examples we have. And I pray, my prayer is that each of us would be able to say, speak for your servant is listening. We are called to something specific. Each of us has a unique calling. Your calling is not the same as mine. Mine is not the same as yours. Each of us have been called to do something different, but it's all called to be part of God's grander story, something bigger than anything that is about you and I. We are all called to something. Moses was called to lead the people out of Egypt. Uh, Philip was called to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. Paul was called to reach out to the Gentiles. Each person we see in the Bible has a unique and specific calling, just like you and I do. And are we answering that call? 
This is the topic of this morning. This is a part of this morning that that we're going to be called out. Are we answering the call from God? Are we living up to what he is asking us to do? So often we get consumed with knowing more about Jesus. That we think we're just going, we go to church or, or we read a book or we listen to the right radio station. We know Jesus, but are we living for him? If we know him, are we hearing his call in our life and actually doing something about that call? This morning, if you have your Bibles, open it to Mark chapter 10, or if you have your journal, we'll have it up on the screen. We're going to look at someone who heard a call from God, a call, specific call from Jesus, and he missed it. And I hope this morning we can take this lesson of someone that missed the call and realize that this is not what we want in our life. And so this morning, if at any time you just want prayer, if you just feel like God putting this burden on your heart, or that it's through this message or, or during worship, we got great people in the, in the prayer room. They would love to pray with you. Michael and Stallings are back there, and they would love to be praying with you about finding your call. So if you have your Bibles open, Mark chapter 10, we start with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. In the hot Palestine sun, there's no reason that a grown man would be running, except for that they just have this burning desire to to talk to someone or to do something. In Luke's version of the story, we find out that the young man is, is wealthy and that he's a ruler. He's highly influential. There's no reason that above anyone he should be running, but he sees Jesus and he runs after him and he wants to ask Jesus a question. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus first establishes who Jesus is. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. He's not saying that Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. Jesus is saying, you're right. You call me good, God alone is good, and God is in me. So you're right in calling me good. And so let's first say who Jesus is, that he is God talking to this man. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus gives a classic rabbi answer of follow these laws, and and the man sees, he says, I've been doing this. We see that this is a man who's a faithful man, who's a religious man, a person that we would probably look up to. He's wealthy, he's influential, he's religious, he's done all these things since he was a boy. He lives a good life. But the man sees that there's something more. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been pursuing Jesus, running after him in the first place. He knows there's something missing. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I see that verse, and I think that Jesus looks at us and loves us. Jesus looked at this man and loved him and saw the potential in this man. Saw a man that could, that could give everything and, and live for God. He saw a man that had great, uh, great future and great hope. He looked at him and loved him. And just as this man is possibly getting comfortable in this conversation, thinking, great, I've done all that. Check, check, check. Honor your father and mother, check. Not murder, check. I got this. Jesus twisted up on his head. 
says, one thing you lack. He said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus calls the young man to discipleship. He calls him to putting Jesus first. He calls him to removing any obstacle that's standing in the way. This passage isn't just about money. This passage is about whatever obstacle. For the rich young ruler, it was about money. That's what was standing in the way. But for anybody, what is it that might be standing in the way of fully following God? For some of us, it might be a relationship that's, that's not holy. It might be a living situation that isn't reflective of the glory of God that's standing in the way of our deeper relationship with him. For some, it might be power. For some, it might be prestige. For some, it might be ego. For some, it might be wealth. For some, it might be uh, addictions. For some, it might be relationships. For some, it might be material things. What is it that is standing in the way? Get rid of that and come follow me. I've heard people write off this story too quickly sometimes and say, well, hey, the story is not about money. It's just about what stands in your way. And that is true. For some of you, it might not be about money. There might be something else that stands in the way. But for the rich young ruler, this story is about money. Because that's what was in the way for him. In the way for him following God with his full heart. And for other people, maybe people in this room, this story might be about money. If material possessions and money is what is getting in the way of your walk with God, then it might be something you need to get rid of. Of all the stories in Mark, I have two favorites. One is the demon-possessed man in chapter 5, and, and the other one is this. This story was one that inspired Sarah and I as we were getting ready to go to Taiwan. Because honestly, what was standing in our way was comfort. We were comfortable. I'd been in the same job for 10 years, and we were pretty good at that job. And I was a youth minister, and I could do youth ministry with my eyes closed. It was easy. We had two kids, a dog, a nice little house. Comfort. I was relying on the comfort. And God was telling us to get rid of everything that was comfortable and step out. And for us, that looked like moving to Taiwan. It looked like moving to a place where a language we couldn't speak, we couldn't read to a people group we'd never been around. Because comfort was what was getting in my way. What is it that might be in the way of your walk with Jesus? The rich young ruler saw salvation as a reward for his righteousness rather than a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus again said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Is it easier for a camel to go, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God? We see a little humor in Jesus, a little plan of words here. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the needle of, an eye, of the eye of a needle. There's some speculation that they talk about that there's a, a gate in Jerusalem called the, the eye of the needle and how hard it would be for a camel to get through this gate. Others say that instead of a camel, the word here is a, a, a cable or a rope. And how hard is it to get a rope through the eye of a needle? Either way, the meaning is the same. It's impossible. 
It's impossible to get to heaven if we're holding something back. If we're allowing something else to be uh, our, our king. If we're allowing something else to be our obstacle that's standing between us and Jesus. It says the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, All right, well then, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Our salvation does not come from anything that the rich young ruler could do. It comes from a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't come from any, anything that we can obtain. It doesn't come from creating our story. It comes from living in God's story and realizing that he died on the cross. That he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And that he conquered death. And that we give ourselves over to him to have him be our Messiah. To have him be our Savior. To have him be our King. And to, in doing so, follow him with our lives. That we're passionate about doing that about answering his call on where he is calling us. It says, and Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. I love this, and Peter, he finally puts it together. Whoa, whoa, okay, the rich young ruler did bad, but what about us, Jesus? We left everything. And maybe it's a self-serving comment, but it's true. The disciples have left it all, and Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions and in the age, of the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. As you read that passage, again, think about Mark's audience. We haven't talked about this in a while, but Mark is writing to the people of Rome. And Rome is, the Roman Christians are under great persecution. Nero has made a sentence of death for all the Christians. And so neighbors are turning in each other if they find out that they're a Christian. Family members might be turning them in. Their homes are taken. Their fields are taken. These, these Christians that are reading this are hiding out in a secret church in the catacombs, are hearing this read, and they're saying, that's me. I've given up mother. I've given up father. I've given up brother, sister, fields, jobs. I've given up everything. And it says, and with that, along with persecution, I've experienced that too. And Mark says, Jesus says, and along with that will come eternal life. These Christians, these Roman Christians have been called to something. And they're going to receive a hundredfold in heaven better. But they're living their calling instead of turning their back on Jesus. They're facing the persecution and they're facing losing all these things. They're following God's call. What is your calling? I believe each one of us has a unique calling. What are you called to? Perhaps you know, perhaps you don't. I'm going to share several different ideas. Maybe one of these will light a fire. Maybe, maybe they won't. Maybe you'd need to work through and talk to someone. We'd love to do that to see where you called. But I think many people already know their calling. And the decision is, are you going to accept that call and step out on a limb and follow it? What is your calling? Perhaps you're called to mission work. And for a long time you've denied it, and for a long time you've found excuses and reasons not. 
but maybe you need to sell everything as the rich young ruler and, and pursue mission work, or maybe it's a mission work for a short term next summer to start saving now to be able to go and do God's work. Perhaps it's not to go out, but to work locally here. At the end of August, we have sent to serve. My favorite thing about Discovery is instead of having this service uh, the last week of the month, we will be out working around the community. You're called to do that. God has given you the opportunity to reach out and be his hands and feet. And so many people often on that fifth Sunday say, oh, Sunday, we're off this week. It's uncomfortable to do that. It's too hot. I don't know people. We're called to step out. Husbands, men, I want to talk to you specifically right now. You're called to be an example in your family. You're called to love your wives and your children and to set an example of what it means to be a Christ believer. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and time and again I heard teens tell me, I just wish my dad would spend some time talking to me. I just wish my dad knew my best friend's name. I just wish my dad was involved in my life. He, all he cares about is how I did in the game. He doesn't care about what I'm feeling. He doesn't care about anything going on. Men are get so caught up in work, and it's important, but at what cost? Men were called to lead our family to follow Christ. What are you called to? Perhaps you're called to something here in the church. Maybe if you love, and, and oftentimes our callings match our passions. If you love coffee, if you love triple shots of raspberry mocha frappe, I don't know. I'm not a coffee person. But if, you had, if that's you and you love that stuff, we'd love to have you up in the coffee ministry. I'm an unsweet tea person. If you're called to unsweet tea, I would love you to, to follow that calling. But we have lots of callings. Maybe you're just friendly. Could you open a door, be part of the greeting team? Maybe you'll have kids. Whether it's a baby that you could hold or a teenager you could mentor. There's so many places you could get called in to follow God's calling on your life here. But maybe that calling looks differently. It's outside of discovery. Maybe it's along the lines of the rich young ruler to sell all you have. But what if instead of just all you have, but you went in your closet and you saw the clothes that you haven't worn for a month, maybe three months, the, the sweaters that uh, tend to itch too much or aren't the right fashion. Maybe the clothes that no longer fit. I wore a suit yesterday that I hadn't worn in about a year. It took five minutes to get that suit on, to get the button. I'm probably going to have to sell that suit. And what if you sold that stuff and you used that money to give to the poor? What if you sold that and you then went and bought something and, and installed it at the, at the Hope House to be able to care for young ladies that are, have children and are struggling to make their way in life. Wouldn't that be living this out? Selling what you have and giving to the poor. What are you called to do? There are so many different callings. There are 27 million people in slavery today. Maybe you've been called to do something about that. There are children dying in Africa from diseases that could easily be prevented. Maybe you're called to that. Maybe you're called to, to go to the Compassion's website and find a child that you could adopt and, and be partners with and, and through a monthly giving care for that child and save their life. Perhaps you don't need to look outside the world, but in Sullivan County, there are hundreds of kids in foster care right now. And maybe you've been called to open your home. 
We got a church full of people with rooms, with guest bedrooms. And we got a county full of children that just need a bedroom and a loving home. Maybe that's what you're called to. Maybe you're called, maybe you're a parent and you've been called to do something and you set an example for your children. How are they supposed to know how to follow their call if they don't see mom and dad doing it? If we aren't setting an example that we see where God has gifted us, where God has brought us passion, and that we are following God's call, that's setting an example. And perhaps as a parent, our job, is, our calling is to help our children find their call. There's so many teenagers that drift away from church after they graduate high school, and perhaps it's because mom and dad never helped them find how they connected to God in the first place. We are called to so much. Where are you called? Some people this morning might have a calling to accept Christ for the first time. Might be someone here that you've thought about it, but you've never fully taken that step of faith. If that is you, if you feel God calling you to accept Jesus as your Savior, to accept Him as your Messiah, to believe that He died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've never accepted that, then I want to encourage you, come talk to us. Come talk to Mike and Linda in the prayer room this morning. And make that commitment, answer that calling. There's other people here that I know you're called to get baptized. Maybe you accepted Jesus a long time ago, but you've never been baptized as this public profession of your faith. Or maybe you're called to that. Maybe you're called to set an example to, to whether it's your family, or maybe it's an example to fellow believers here in this church that would be inspired by your confession of faith. We have a baptismal here, and we got extra clothes in the back. We could do it today, or maybe next week. Come talk to us, and we'd love to be able to set that up. Maybe this is where you're called. But we're all called to something different. I listed a whole bunch of different ideas. Maybe one of those connected with you. Maybe they didn't. Maybe there's something else that you're called to at your work or at your school, in your neighborhood, maybe in your home. But we are called by God to do something for his kingdom, not to just pour into our own story. One of my favorite chapters is, or one of my favorite stories is John, at the end of John, Jesus is walking with Peter and John on the beach. And he comes aside Peter and he says, Peter, I got a calling for you. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. And Peter says, okay, that's great. I can do that. And then he turns and he says, what about him? What's he supposed to do? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. And I love that because Jesus is saying, this is your calling, Peter. You don't need to know what he's supposed to do. He's got his own. Peter, let's focus on yours. So this morning, what is your calling? Don't focus on the person sitting next to you. Don't focus on your spouse or your child. Don't focus on the person on another pew saying, oh, they got gifts that God could use. They got this ability. What is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you? He's calling each one of us to be part of his story. So often we're reluctant to follow. Uh, the story in Moses hits home because God calls Moses to free the people of Egypt and, and Moses comes up with a whole laundry list of reasons that he shouldn't. That's how I feel at times when God's calling me to do something like, oh God, but, but I'm so busy or God, but that'd be hard or God, that's just awkward. I don't know if I could do that. I, and, and we have this laundry list of reasons and God stops Moses and he says, it's not about you. It's about me. 
Moses says, I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do this. God says, I will be with you. And when we're reluctant to follow God's call, it's going to be hard. But know that we're not doing this alone. We're doing this with God. He's not calling us to something that he's going to leave us alone. He's calling us to something that he's going to lead us. So we have a response. We're called by God to do something. You are called to something specific in God's grand story. We see it throughout the Bible. Samuel, the prophets, Philip, uh, the disciples, all of them called to something. You and I are called to something. How are you going to respond? Often we try to walk this, balance this walk on the fence between yes and no and say, well, I'll go to church every week and I'll listen to the right radio station. That's good enough, right? It's not about just knowing Jesus. It's about living for him. And if you've been called to something, the answer is either yes or no. Let me tell you what this yes answer looks like. There's a great example in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. We see Elisha being called by Elijah to do grand things for God's story. And we have this passage from chapter 19, starting with verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Saphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his ox and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Elijah's making sure that he's not going to persuade him, talk him into something that he is convicted by God to follow. And this story, what we see here, Elisha has 12 oxen. Elisha is wealthy. Elisha has great land. He has great influence. He is just like the rich young ruler. He is young. He is wealthy. He has influence. He has power. And he's called, and he's, and he's in the middle of this job. He's in the middle of this work, and he's called by God. Verse 21 says, So Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I love this story because this is a great example of a yes that I can think of. That he says, I've been called by God, and I'm going to make sure I don't go back to the way I used to live. And so he takes his 12 oxen, and he kills them. And he breaks up all his equipment, and he burns it to say, I can't go back anymore. And then he throws a party for the people, a giant barbecue, and he says, I'm leaving to follow God's call. He has a call on my life. He throws a party and lets everybody know, I'm following God's call. This is an answer that's yes. And then contrast that to Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler was called by Jesus, the Son of God, face to face. And the rich young ruler, it says, his face fell and he walked away sad. And we never hear from the rich young ruler again. It breaks my heart. We never hear from him. I don't know. Maybe he goes on living. Maybe he makes more wealth. Maybe he has a bunch of kids and and they're wealthy. But at the end of the day, nobody knows anything about him. But we know about all the people that say yes and are part of God's grander story because that's what's important. Not about the people, but we know about God. And I would just want to go back in time and tell this guy that morning, tell the rich young ruler, hey, this afternoon you're going to be presented with an opportunity. Say yes. 
It's going to seem like a crazy opportunity. It's going to seem like a challenge. It's going to cost you a lot. But say yes. Because if you say yes to Jesus, here's what your future is going to look like. You're going to go and you're going to walk with Jesus, the Son of God. You're going to see him perform miracles. You're going to hear him do great teaching. He's going to be able to teach you, just you and a bunch of guys around a campfire late at night. You're going to have this most intimate, personal relationship with God himself, who has come down in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And then, and then you're going to see him die on a cross, and it's going to break your heart. You're going to be terrified. You're going to cry. But three days later, you're going to find out that Jesus, your friend, has risen from the dead. And you're going to be sitting with all the other guys and, and, and all the other followers and Jesus is going to come in and you're going to see him and you're going to be able to touch the wounds in his hand. And you're, not only that, but you're going to be part of this grand thing called the church and it's going to ignite and you're going to be able to bring people to Jesus, to follow Jesus. If you say yes to this, you might even end up writing a book that's going to be part of a bigger book called the Bible. You're going to see the Holy Spirit come down. You're going to see thousands upon thousands of people come and accept Jesus because, of, because you were willing to say yes. But instead, the rich young ruler, his face fell and he walked away sad. And we never hear from him again. Each of us has a calling. Are you going to say no? Or yes? Are you currently saying yes or no. It's going to cost you. I'm not, not downplaying that. Every calling in the Bible costs them. Jesus doesn't just call people that have nothing to do and are willy-nilly. Jesus is calling people in the midst of their work. Moses was caring for his sheep. Gideon was working on the threshold floor. Samuel was working in the temple. Uh, Paul was an active Pharisee. And he, Jesus comes and he has this calling on their lives. And they have to leave everything. But what a great thing to be part of God's story. So it might cost you. It might cost you financially, as it would the rich young ruler. It might cost you financially, or perhaps it might cost you that, that beach vacation that you take every year. What if this year you don't book the condo and you go on a mission trip instead? It might cost you part of your handicap on a golf game. Because you're not hitting the links as much now that you're helping serve at the homeless shelter. Maybe it's going to cost you of the time with the friends because you're spending time at home caring for your wife and your kids or your husband and your family. It's going to cost you, but it's worth it. This great revival led by John Jones swept Wales in about 150 years ago. And as I mentioned, they sent out missionaries and, and a million people in England came to accept Jesus right away. They sent out missionaries to North America, to Asia, to Africa, and to India. To remote parts of India that had never heard the gospel of Jesus before. To remote parts of India that were full of savages and headhunters. There's a one village that they would, the men would display their greatness by how many skulls they have hanging outside their hut of people that they had killed in battle. And this is where the missionaries went. And the, the missionary work was hard and it was difficult and discouraging at times. But there was this one missionary that went to this village to the Garo people. And, and the, there was one family that was hearing the missionary talk about Jesus. And one man named Nisong, Nisong accepted Jesus along with his wife 
and his kids. And they accepted Jesus, and then they began to tell the other villagers about this Jesus Christ that died for them. And the villagers were kind of disturbed by this, and, and so much so that the village chief was upset that they were ruffling feathers, and they were making everything uncomfortable. And so the village chief gathered all the village together in the town square and brought Nisong and his family there. And the, and the chief ordered for the archers to pull their bows back and point it at the family. And he said, now, before all these people, I want you to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ. Or I'm going to kill your boys. The two little boys stood there at his side. Arrows drawn at him. And Nisong stepped up. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. The chief gave the order and the two boys were killed instantly. And there at his feet are his two boys that have died and he's holding hands with his wife. And the chief says, now is your chance. Renounce. You've already lost your sons. You will lose your wife now. And the arrows were drawn, pointed at her. And he says, renounce your faith. And Nisong says, though none go with me, still I will follow. And the chief gives the orders, and the wife is killed. And the chief says, you have one final chance. You've seen we already, we've killed your family. Renounce your faith. And with the arrows pointed at him, he claimed, exclaimed out loud, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And the chief gave the order and the arrows flung and Nisong lost his life. And silence just grew over the whole village as they saw this scene. And conviction hit the chief. And as tears came in his eyes, he said, why should this man, his wife and two children, die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent 2,000 years ago? There must be something remarkable behind this family's faith. And I, too, want to taste that faith. And then he turned to the villagers and he said, I, too, belong to Jesus Christ. And the whole village accepted Jesus Christ that day. Because Nisong answered his call. And for Nisong and his wife and his kids, it cost them everything. But the whole village came to know Jesus. And the village took those words of Nisong and they made it their anthem, their song. And this village had a song and, and a hymn writer later discovered this story and discovered this song and turned it into the song that we all know I have decided to follow Jesus. And the Garo people today, 90% of them are Christians. 90% of them, 150 years later, are Christians because Nisong answered the call. 90% of them are Christians because a missionary left Wales and answered the call to go to something uncomfortable. 150 years later, 90% of them are Christians because a woman was willing to host a prayer meeting in her home and answer that call. Elisha said yes. Samuel said yes. Nisong said yes. His family said yes. The missionary said yes. The, the woman with the two candles said yes. And then you have the rich young ruler who said no. 
So my question to you this morning is if we each have a unique calling on our life, which we see through scripture, are you willing to say yes? Or are you currently saying no? To one of those two, how are you going to live this week? How are you going to pursue? I hope saying yes. If you'll stand with me as we sing this, this anthem that was the dying words of a man that said yes. This anthem that was the words in the face of adversity, in the face of death. He was willing to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That in the face of death of his wife, he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. That his final words here on earth was the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. What is your answer? Yes or no to God's calling.